Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. All right, a simple Sunday school lesson. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 3. And we'll pray and then we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you very much. We can meet and gather here freely. We ask your blessing upon the Sunday school lesson with the kids. And we ask your blessing upon the lesson we're going to have here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to look at what the Bible says or what God declares in the Bible, in His Holy Word, about salvation. And then we're going to make some application to it, particularly man's uh, response to what God declares. So that's going to be the topic. It'll be simple. It'll, it'll be mostly a review, but I think we'll be able to glean some different, a different take or maybe a different insight that will help us in our per personal witnessing and it should help us amongst our, um, when raising our children too, and how we present the gospel to them. Romans chapter 3. Real simple, verse number 21. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody has sinned. And we need to be careful with this particular verse. When you share this verse, when you're witnessing with somebody, it's easy for them saying, well, yeah, we, we kind of all have. It's almost like everybody can agree with that. And it's not... It's not a verse where you get much kickback from. Well, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, you, I mean, you sinned, I sinned, you know, we all sinned. And what they do is they draw the lens back and they make it real, real general. God declares His truth that all have sinned, but that person personally has to know that they are a lawbreaker, that they have broken God's law. So you want to try to bring it a little bit more, draw the lens in and make it a little bit more personal and try not to allow someone to get by with, yeah, well, kind of we all have, almost like it's really not that big of a deal. Of course we've all sinned. Of course we all lied. Of course we all have stolen something. But yeah, that's a given. I mean, we all do that. And we do. And we do. But the gospel or salvation more specifically is an individual owning it that no that's me and that's a real big problem because i'm part of that personally um let's go back a few books to john and let's get chapter three
And uh, uh, verse number 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And everybody loves that verse, John 3.16 but watch what the next two verses say. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And here's the verse. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You witness to someone and you start telling them what Jesus did for them. Are you condemning me? My friend, no, I'm not. The Bible says you're condemned already. Personal witnessing and sharing the gospel with someone, it is not about you condemning that person. It is not about that person all of a sudden because you're confronting them with the truth of God's Word that now all of a sudden they're condemned. It's not. Getting them to realize, man, whether I talk to you today or not, whether you're upset with me today or not, you're condemned already. I'm trying to get you to see that this has already happened to you. I am not the person condemning you. You are already condemned. Getting them to realize that. Getting them to personally own that. For them to say in their mind, yep, I'm condemned. Because God's Word says I am. Kids get in trouble and the punishment comes. Condemnation falls upon them. But when it comes to their salvation, they need to realize it's not that they did something wrong on Monday and so now they need to be saved. <laughs> Even though when they do something wrong on Monday, there's a consequence that happens because of the wrongdoing. And that wrongdoing condemned them and they got chastised, they got punished, they got reprimanded because of that, when that happened. So helping to separate that out in their little mind, when it comes to salvation, they can't be thinking, oh yeah, we want the knowledge of sin to come into their, their hearts and know that they're a sinner. But they have to realize that it's not that they do a sin and then they're already, and, and now that is what condemned them. They can only not sin anymore. They'll be all right. Because we, we, we chastise them, right? Don't do that again. And you won't get a spanking. Don't do that again. And the bad consequence won't follow. And that's how we want them to live their life, right? Well, what if they don't do that again? They're never going to get a consequence. 
Maybe they never push their sister again. And so there's no reason for that consequence to occur that occurred when they did push their sister. But salvation isn't like that. Salvation is knowledge of sin has come into their life. They know right from wrong. Now they have to realize, look, they're conceived in sin. Sin is their very nature. They're from Adam. Because of that, they're condemned already. And then also, one last note on that. He that... Uh, he that believeth on Him is not condemned. Salvation is simple. They have to believe on what the Lord Jesus Christ did to pay their sin debt. Belief. Are you going to believe what God says? Are you going to put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did? And are you going to believe on Him? Um, we don't want anybody to get saved and keep sinning, but the fact of the matter is, everybody that gets saved sins the next day. You can't not stop sinning, although you're saved, you're a new creature, you certainly should be sinning less. You certainly should be living for the Lord. You certainly should be taking the way of escape that God provides. You certainly should be getting counsel from Christian brothers, sisters in the Lord. But the fact of the matter is, oh wretched man that I am, we're, we're trapped in this body of flesh and it's going to war against the soul. So it's belief. That person has to believe. And we need to be careful about... Um, well, let's go to John... Let's go to 3.36. John 3.36, and then we'll touch on that. Uh, familiar passage that says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. People think this is where people get into I'm a good person. I don't need to, I'm good with God. I'm a good person. But you haven't believed on what Jesus Christ did for you, so therefore the wrath of God abides on you. Yeah, but I'm a pretty good person. This is the good person argument. How in the world could God's wrath abide on me? Because after all, that guy may very well be the best guy in his neighborhood. Or the best guy in the town. Or in the state. Or on the coast. Or in the whole nation. You know, where do you start and where do you stop? Somebody is going to be the best guy in town. Somebody is. There's going to be one guy that's got the most amount of money. There's going to be one guy that did more good deeds than the other. And now categorize that into all different subgroups and all that. And you're going to find best guys and best gals all over the place. And there certainly isn't anything wrong with that. That's what you want. You want people to strive to do better. But in this striving to do better, we can easily lose sight of the fact that God's wrath abides upon you <laughs> because you've not believed on the Son of God. You've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as the only merit 
that will earn you favor with God. So to get someone to personally say or to own the fact for them to say that, yep, me personally, I am under God's wrath because I have not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And for them personally to own the fact that, yes, I know that I deserve punishment. You know, if children, if they get spanked for something on Monday and they do the same thing next Monday, they'll see a flaw in mom and dad if they don't get a spanking the second time. They'll think either it was unjust the first time or mom and dad aren't consistent the second time or I can get away with this now the third time. Whatever their little mind conjures up, the wrath of mom and dad isn't going to abide on them. So I'm just going to go ahead and, and keep going. They're good. They're good. They got by with it. So in our own personal child raising, it's important to try to be just in how we give discipline and just in how we give out uh, punishment. Because if our kids see us as unjust, that's not really good for the family. But they know. If they know, you know what? If I kick little brother in the gut, I'm getting it. <laughs> if they know that, they personally own that, oh, they're going to think twice. I mean, that's the plan. God's wrath abiding on a sinner is something that that sinner they have to own that. And they have to really understand before God, you know what, God, you're just because of this and you're right because of this. I'm the one that's the sinner and that's wrong. I own the fact that your wrath is abiding on me because I've not believed and trusted in the free gift of salvation that you freely offered me. And I know there's no other way and however you want to talk it through with your child or however way you want to talk it through with the person that you're witnessing to, they've got to own it. Let's get back over to Romans. And we'll go to chapter 5. And in verse number six, the Bible says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Somebody that's a good guy? Sure. Take a bullet for him. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Again, a good man, a righteous man? All right. We, we can kind of understand that. What mother wouldn't die for her son? What, what father wouldn't sacrifice his life for his daughter's life? You know, what best friend wouldn't take a bullet for 
his best friend in, in war. I mean, these things happen. You know, you love somebody enough, you'll go to the extreme. But verse 8 says, but God. This is the difference. This is the difference that God wants us to see. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that should bring those three verses to closure. But God. You get someone that wears you out, you're going to wear him out. You don't, you don't like the way somebody's treating you? Um, out comes the tapestry of profanity. Up come the dukes. And it's fist to cuffs. You really, at that point, could care less about that person. Um, you're not going to put up with their junk, and they're not going to put up with your junk, and it's just... But God. In the midst of that stuff, God commendeth His love toward us in that. In that, while we were yet sinners. That's the love of God. And that's what people need to be able to own. Do you know that Christ died for you because you're a sinner and your worst enemy you wouldn't take a bullet for and you're God's worst enemy and He went to the cross for you? Owning that. Understanding that realizing that and not just running somebody through the Romans road as if the Romans road is a race to see which Baptist can get the most souls saved for soul winning Sunday and which person can get the most cards filled out at the local fair. We spoke to maybe a dozen people at the county fair last summer. It was week long. It's not bad. It's much better than getting 500 prayer cards filled out. Where, where are they all? <laughs> Big deal. You got 500 prayer cards filled out. And, and we, we, we did... Um, I remember we were part of a church that um, there was a group of churches in New Jersey that during Christmas time went to Camden, New Jersey, which is the worst city crime rate per capita almost in the nation. And it's Toys for uh, Toys for Jesus or something, you know, it was some catchy name. And there were six or seven churches that participated. And uh, but there's a preacher preaching. Great. And what you would do is you would go and... Um, each of those people that lived in the projects of Camden, I mean, it's just the slums. It's nasty. And you just get in line with one of them and you just, you're their sponsor in line and you walk them through and they'll get some bread and we feed them and you get some groceries. Basically, it's a little grocery section. They grab food. And then the ones with kids, you walk them through the last little um, trailer and then they have a section fenced off and there's all bikes that have been donated and the kid gets to pick a bike out. It's nice. Kid, kid sees a bike for the first time because either his bike got stolen or his dad got upset and smashed his bike when he got home from work. It's a big deal to a kid. 
And then, you know, you go out and, and then someone asks them if they want to take communion. Well, at that point, which mom doesn't want? You, you, you see what I mean? Nothing wrong with bikes, nothing wrong with bread, nothing wrong with butter, nothing wrong with being nice, nothing wrong with any of that. But do you see how someone is going to feel guilty because, man, they just gave me all this stuff. Yeah, sure, I, I want to trust Jesus as my Savior and take communion. It's really, really hard under those conditions. Just leave the whole last part out so that you don't have a false conversion almost type thing. And I just said all that to say that you want people to personally own the fact that they really understand God commendeth his love toward you in the wicked state that you're in. That's how much he loved you. We love you a little bit because we're going to feed you one Saturday out of the year. But we don't love you that much because we're not coming every day. <laughs> we're feeding our family. And the other thing is, would you rather feed them one day or would you rather have them be fed for life because they're going to be feeding off the bread of life? There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture in, in, in view when it comes to personal witnessing and salvation. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, and we'll read at verse number 3. And thinketh, thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And this goes on. And it goes on. Look how long this sentence is. Who will render to every man according to his deeds. To them who by patient continuance and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are conscientious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile, for there is no respect of persons with God. That's one long sentence. And God wants to know, are you trusting in anything else to save you? Do you know that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? You know you need to repent. Do you know at the end of verse number 11, God has no respect of persons. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you do good, if you do evil. When it comes to God's saving, he doesn't respect any of that. You want to be treated good by your husband, wives, so that you can respect him. 
And husbands want to be treated good by their wives because they want to respect her. God don't respect none of that junk. Because no good that we do is going to, one, merit God's favor. We have to realize, stop trying to impress God. It's His goodness that will lead you to repentance. Do you realize how good he is? He would save you a sinner. This teenager, he would save as a sinner. This wicked person who we would say needs salvation. God looks at you the same way. Yes, you. The guy that has a nine-to-five job, the guy that pays all his bills on time, the guy that takes his wife on vacation once a year, the guy that plays baseball with his kids every Saturday afternoon in the backyard. Yup, you. <laughs> you. Need salvation as much as that wicked guy that you're telling your kids not to grow up and be like which we should tell our kids not to grow up and be like that. But we have to be careful of getting that self-righteousness out of them and getting them to realize God is no respecter of person. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And living a good life is great. Those are all biblical principles. But none of those things will merit anybody any good in the day of judgment. They need God's blood sacrifice. And they should be led to repentance. Last note on Romans 2. If they're not willing to repent, they're not ready to be saved. Repentance is a natural trusting, turning from one thing and trusting in another. It's a natural thing that accompanies faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, anything that somebody adds when you're speaking with them or you're trying to talk to your children about the Lord That person is telling you, and they're telling God, really, that His blood sacrifice, His sacrificial death on the cross was not enough. So you need to key in on, is, is when you're speaking to someone, witnessing to them, are they adding on things? Yeah, but I did. Are you saved? Uh, yes, I grew up in the church. Oh, great. Well, it's a great meeting another Christian. <laughs> or... Help me understand that. Uh, well, you know, growing up in church can't save you. Well, that's not what I meant. All right. Well, what did you mean, sir? And however you're able to relate to that person, you have to be able to confront that and you have to be able to, I guess, extract out, well, what did you mean? Because if you're meaning... If, yet, if that person is thinking they grew up in church and they're saved, the wrath of God abides on them. 
Now, how do you tell a good guy that's been brought up in church and has probably done more good deeds than you <laughs> that he's not saved? Especially if he's older than you and he knew you from growing up. Right? That's why family's so hard to witness to. Because they know you. <laughs> There's no way you could be. Romans chapter 6. God made a promise. You have to own that promise. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. In verse number 23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Present tense today. Someone needs to know that God's got a promise of eternal life right now to offer them. Is that person ready to own that? Personally, that gift is for you. It's wrapped, bow-tied, taped real nice, corners creased, and he offers it to you personally. The same way that we make it a, oh yeah, well sure, hasn't everybody sinned? What do we, no, what buddy? Yeah, everybody has. We're talking about you right now. We gotta do the same thing with that promise that God has given and not make it so general and say, look, you, buddy, God's got a gift for you. Personally, help them see that, help them own that. Is it a free gift or is it freely given? <laughs> There's a difference. It's freely given. I've gotten free gifts only to know that I just got signed up for a timeshare. <laughs> Um, the next thing you know, you're, you know, uh, I forget where we were. We were in vacationing somewhere and you got the timeshare breakfast for free and it was a free breakfast. But the next thing you know, some guy sat down and put a poor picture of him and his family there. And then he put another picture of something, some social calls he was running for. And the next thing you know, you feel sorry and it's hard to say no to the guy. Unless you're me. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then that afternoon, the couple that we were with, we, we see them on a golf cart. The guy's driving the golf cart, you know, because they got further in the sales pitch. They're sitting on the back of the golf cart. I see him. I wave. <laughs> he got you, didn't he? <laughs> they bought the thing. They bought it. <laughs> They got the free breakfast. It, it was a free breakfast, but it wasn't freely given. And with God, it's a freely given gift. There's no strings attached to it. That person doesn't have to feel like a bait and switch. You know, if I take the free knives, I'm going to get upsold. Who sells knives for $9.95 anymore? Nobody's making money off that. Yeah, the knife can, you don't even need a Sawzall anymore. You just buy these knives for $9.95. You can cut through the whole job. And people buy them for $9.95. And, you know, it cut, cuts through 17 watermelons with one slice, and it's great. Except that next week, you just spent four grand on whatever they were upselling you on. They don't make money on the knives. $9.95 and the free gift. All of that is to get you into the pipeline, into the funnel, 
so that you buy something from them. Not with God. God is not offering you something for free so that he can, ah, gotcha, I'm going to upsell you. It's a, it's not a free gift. It's a gift freely given with no strings attached. People have to own that. They have to see that. They have to understand that. Romans chapter 10. The ver uh, verse number nine, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth in the righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. This was a verse, these two verses was what I was asked to teach on at my ordination. And the preacher that asked me to expound on these two verses was going somewhere. And his point was, basically in a nutshell, brother, you got to realize you're down south. Everybody believes in their heart. I just know in my heart. So he's trying to help me understand something that I wouldn't have understood unless I grew up here or unless I was compelled to think about it by someone who knows more about it than me. And he says, you got to be careful because people are just going to say, I just know, just Jesus is in my heart and the good Lord's in my heart. I just know in my heart and everything's about the heart, the Southern heart and soul. They've not confessed the Lord Jesus Christ with their mouth. And you can't assume because someone uses these heart words that they're saved. Is it a heart issue? It is. Do you have to believe like what the Bible says? Um, believe in thine heart? You do. It can't just be head knowledge. It has to drop down. It has to be a heartfelt knowledge. But there's really nothing good about our hearts, guys. It's just that intellectual knowledge alone isn't going to save you. The devils believe. They know that he's the son of God. Is there a confession with your mouth where you are crying out to God and confessing Lord and then all the stuff that we just talked about? Is there that heartfelt confessing? Confessing it. And even if the person can't speak, is their heart confessing that? Honestly confessing all of the stuff we talked about. You're a lawbreaker. You're condemned. God's wrath is on you. Punishment is justly deserved. Christ died for you personally. That gift is for you personally. All that stuff. There's no goodness in you. God's goodness should lead you to repent. All that stuff. Are you confessing that? Or is it just some southern heart and soul felt? It's, it can't be the latter. It's got to be. It's got to be confessing it. Not just cultural south talk. 
All right, two more verses and we're done. Romans 10, verse number 13. We'll go down to... Uh, well, let's just continue at verse 11. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. He's no respecter of persons. And anybody that calls on him, he's rich upon all of them. And then the Bible says a great, famous, easily memorized verse. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now get ready. Repeat after me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. I trust you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior to come into my heart. I trust you, Lord Jesus, as my Savior to come into my heart. Okay, now bring your Bible up. I'll sign it. and I'll write your little born-again birthday on there, and we can all go to fellowship. That's a mess. That deceives more people. And that is on those phony preacher's resume because they're trying to build a congregation. <laughs> now we can go down that route and build a big congregation, but I'm not facing God with that on my, my resume. And I know you don't want to either. So we're not doing that. Nothing wrong with bowing your head. Nothing wrong with closing your eyes. Nothing wrong with walking an aisle. Nothing wrong with saying a prayer. But when you coax and emotionally trick somebody into saying something that they don't honestly believe and they're not really confessing in their own words, out of their own heartfelt plea and cry to God, that's a problem. And these preachers that are doing this should be ashamed of themselves. They should, they should get out of the ministry until they get right with God because that is going to be on their resume. One, two, three, repeat after me. Pull my finger. I'll sign your Bible and let's have some sweet tea and some cornbread. <laughs> That's junk. That's junk. That person needs to know personally everything that we talked about they have got to own it. All right, last verse, Ephesians. Chapter 1. Verse number 13. We'll close with this. Uh, verse 12, that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, Verse 13, in whom ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And that's what God does with every blood-washed saint. You are sealed, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of His glory. God saves you. He seals you. He promises to save all who would call upon Him. And He promises to seal you. You're not going to lose your salvation.
All right, let's bow and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Hope this message was simple, easy to understand. We ask your blessing upon our church service. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church, where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.